it is our job to be responsible for the upkeep of our um, our art form to nourish it and to also push it forward. Welcome to Arts Engines. I am your host, Aaron Dworkin. And with us as today's guest, we have Roderick Cox, Maestro Cox, uh, who is of course one of our leading conductors in the world, uh, was associate conductor of the Minnesota Orchestra in just the past season or two, conducted the Cleveland Orchestra, BBC Symphony, Houston Grand Opera, many others, and I would be remiss if I did not mention the Sphinx Symphony Orchestra, where we were able sure. to do the Detroit premiere of the American Rhapsody. And also he is the founder of the Roderick Cox Music Initiative. Roderick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Aaron. It's good to see you and it's good to be here. Oh, it's so great to see you. Uh, I'm so excited to be able to have the opportunity to talk with you and, uh, and have you share some of your story with our audience. Um, so I thought I would also uh, just start out, uh, as all of you know, we have co-curators for our show. And so for this week's show, the Aspen Music Festival in Schools, one of our co-creators, uh, we've both been able to spend uh, time there. Roderick, you're one of the uh, alums. And I was actually wanted to kind of just get a sense because you have been so committed to, you know, kind of the early careers of classical musicians and organizations' roles. And I think about in my own life, you know, how Interlock and Arts Academy, where I went to high school, University of Michigan, Encore Summer Program, where I went, the role that they played in, in my life. And just wondering for you, how have kind of organizations played a role for you in, in your life like that? And especially, how has Aspen played a role for you? Well, cer I, uh, certainly organizations have been, uh, without them, I wouldn't be where I am today. They have been absolutely vital because um, coming from my background as a, as a, as a boy from Macon, Georgia, uh, born in a single parent household, and my mom uh, knew very little about classical music, so did everyone in my family. And so we had to really um, depend on organizations for that support and that and from that help. And it started with the uh, Otis Redding Foundation in Macon, Georgia, when I uh, wanted to go to college and, and study music education at first. I didn't have an instrument to play on and I didn't, um, and we couldn't afford one. And the widow of Otis Redding, Zelma Redding, without meeting me at all or knowing anything really about me other than my aspirations to uh, pursue music, decided to buy me a French horn so that I can go to college. And the only condition was that I, <laughs> that I made good grades and reported it back. And that just really uh, stuck with me. And one day I saw her on the street and, in Macon, Georgia and ran up and thanked her for that. And, and I have, um, I've had an um, ongoing relationship with that organization for many years. Um, even when I decided to be a conductor, they helped sponsor me to study conducting in certain places. And so that inspired my work uh, to start the Roderick Cox Music Initiative to be able to just lend a helping hand uh, when needed to young people who, who need that support. And so with the Aspen Music Festival, 
Um, you know, Robert Spano and the team there, they really, they became my mentors and um, helped um, expand my view of classical music and exposed me to world-class artists and, and world-class, um, a world-class education. And I was just on the phone earlier today with uh, the artistic director, Asado Centurion, and that just shows that um, the relationships I, I built there have, have really sustained themselves in, 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 um, in my career now. So certainly organizations like yours and Sphinx are so important for helping young artists. Right. Oh, that's awesome. And so you, know, you had this kind of trajectory and I'm curious kind of how did the conducting bug take hold, right? Where, at, at what point in your life um, did you kind of, you know, begin to get that sense that, you know, instead of being part of the orchestra, right, you really wanted to get up and really lead and help shape the sound that we all create? Well, it's interesting. When I was in my undergraduate, I was a, you know, I loved playing the French horn and I, um, I, it was something I was, I was very much devoted to, but I, I had a, a an injury, um, and I, I lost the sensation of how to play the instrument. And so I had to really build myself back up to the level uh, very slowly. And it was an excruciating process. And as you can imagine, um, when you've been able to achieve a certain level in your instrument and you have to take those steps back, you just feel like all this music that you have built inside of you and you're not able to express it. it. It really felt like torture. And I think at that time I became more fascinated with uh, vicariously living through <laughs> other instrument groups. I was, I became so interested in, in what the cellos were doing and what the violins were doing and so forth. Um, so I thought I wanted to, um, and so during that excruciating time, unfortunately, by the time I became a fairly good horn player again, I had fell out of love with the instrument and, um, and so decided to pursue conducting. And when I was in graduate school at Northwestern, um, I, I thought I'd be a, a university teacher or professor until I took an orchestral conducting course um, with the present conducting teacher, Victor Yampolsky, who told me he saw me um he said you should be conducting professional orchestras and uh to hear that as a kid from from macon georgia um to stand in the on this in the same spot as a person like leonard bernstein or and some of these great artists just seems like a um a far-fetched idea uh, it seemed like a dream that was unobtainable and so being a, a a teacher is what I imagined for myself, but it only took that little seed to be planted inside my brain before I started to think, oh, maybe, maybe that's possible. Maybe I can do that. And so with a little encouragement, um, I decided to change course and enter into his studio. He accepted me as one of his students. And I started to really study uh, orchestral conducting very seriously with the purpose of being a professional uh, conductor and haven't turned back, uh, <laughs> haven't turned back yet. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And we all get to benefit uh, from that decision. So, and it's amazing, you know, this kind of role 
that mentors, that you know, certain professionals who are further along or established in our fields, oftentimes I think they may not even realize how a few small words they share can change and inspire and, and literally alter the trajectory uh, of an aspiring musician's life. So it's, it's amazing to hear. And, and one of the things that you know, I'm just so in, in awe of you is that it's not enough to do, of course, your, your artistry and, and your, your music, but you really wanna kind of pay it forward. And I was wondering, could you kind of share with us a little bit more about the Roderick Cox Music Initiative? And, and kind of where the inspiration from that came from and, and, and what you're able to accomplish with the, with the initiative. Well, it, it, it was quite interesting because when I was um, at the Aspen Music Festival, a, a documentary filmmaker wanted to begin a documentary um, basically following my trajectory as becoming a conductor. And I tell you, Erin, I was very hesitant about this because this was sort of uncharted territory for me and uncharted territory for me as also a person of color. So I really didn't want a camera to follow me around and to, um, to see my failures and my possible triumphs. I, it, it really made me uncomfortable at first. But then I started to, um, as I continued to grow in my career, I, I started to gravitate more and more around the idea of this because um, I became, started to become more visible and more uh, young musicians of color or just regular musicians uh, who aren't in the minority around the world start to ask me, you know, how do you do this? How, do, how does one uh, forge a path to become a conductor, because oftentimes we hear about them once they're established. Um, and so I said, you know, I'm going to use my role to to try to um, show this path for for young aspiring conductors of color, um, which is quite elusive, quite rare. Um, and when partnering with um, this documentary filmmaker, which documentary is still in process, we decided we don't, um, it's just not good enough to raise money and things to, to share my story, but also to be able to help other people who have those dreams, who have those aspirations, because my story is not um, without those angels in my life to say, Oh, let's let's help you get there, or can we pay for this, or can we um, sponsor that trip for you to go study conducting there? And so, yes, we can have those dreams, but we also need um, help and assistance. And so, I help cultivate a relationship with um, uh, some some great supporters of mine in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, and we established the Roderick Cox Initiative and raised over. $170,000 in one year and partnered with two organizations um, the first year, the Walker West Music Academy um, and the McPhail uh, Music Center, both in the Twin Cities. And, and we um, gave out $17,000 the first year to those students. And I've cultivated a, a relationship 
and uh, a mentorship with them and I've been Skyping with them during, sorry, Zooming with them during the pandemic, during the pandemic, just making sure they're, they're you know, staying on track and, and being inspired and just trying to cultivate that relationship with them. And, you know, maybe some of them pursue music, maybe they don't. And, and that's the case with this. You never know, but at least you can try to make the path anything we could try to do to make the path a little bit easier and especially for people of color in this field who are who can be deterred and 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 even with us artists who have sort of i mean have made it you know i i have private conversations with world-class tenors or sopranos or 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 conductors and and they're often, and we have to stick together because there are these things in our profession that, that, that can easily deter us and tell us that we're not wanted or there's no place for us or we don't see out, we still don't see ourselves represented. And, and you can possibly say, what's the point? What's the point? Maybe this is a club that we can't get into. Um, but we have to remind ourselves to keep doing the work, that's what we can control, keep focused on the work and not to give up because there's so much talent out there, especially talent amongst people of color. And, and it's important that they have that support system and those relationships to, to know to keep going and, and, and to build those relationships and to stick together through this. And so that's, I think that's what I've tried to establish uh, even at an early stage with these young musicians in the Roderick Cox Music Initiative. Awesome, no, it's, it's so important. And you know, when, when we think about the divisiveness going on and all of the uh, various examples of injustice that we see in society, do you feel like there's a specific role that the arts can play, not just for artists and for our audiences, but do you think there's a role the arts can play to try to impact the the you know civil unrest that uh, you know yeah. exists, art art should always be, uh, I think, at the center of our lives, and especially music should always be at the center of our lives. And not only does it give, does it provides us comfort, but it also provides us awareness and and provides us. A, a, a means to express and reflect. Music is not always should all. It shouldn't always make us feel good. It should all also make us uncomfortable and thinking, and, and it should also teach us about one another. Um, and I think it would be a travesty that uh, if after everything that happens, that our industry goes back to, I suppose. What is the norm? I, you have classical music and you have classical music industry. And those two things are separate. Classical music, uh, Brahms has written his symphonies. He's gone. And it's our job to play them or decide when they'll be played or how important they are to our uh, industry and our society. So it is our job to be responsible for the upkeep of our, um, our art form to nourish it and to also push it forward to where to make to make sure it remains relevant and that's what a Brahms or Mozart or Wagner um, those people were thinking about and so not having our art form be this sort of 
museum um, art form. And our art form has worked best when it has responded to crises um, coming out of World War I, the uh, neoclassicism of, of Stravinsky and, and Schoenberg and all these artists and coming out of World War II, Shostakovich, Prokofiev, I mean, all, these, all this great art comes out of darkness, out of tragedy, and should be even more vibrant. And so, yes, this is a dark time in which we are all um, unsure of the future, but I'm also excited because as artists, you know, it, it is, is a rarity in that you have a responsibility in this century in which you're living to uh, cultivate and to create and to push um, the art form forward and show the world what what we want to be and, and our importance. And so, um, yes to you. I think the orchestra and our art form music should be there uh, when we are celebrating, when we are healing, when we are mourning to bring us together. That's, 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 that's yeah, that is so important. Absolutely. So unfortunately, we're just about out of time, but I was curious, right, with kind of what you described, with all of these things going on in the world, sometimes things are tough, and I can only imagine, you know, uh, I've never earned that, uh, you know, opportunity to, to, you know, stand in front of an orchestra and, and to lead it, but I can only imagine that there must be some moments of frustration uh, and challenge with, with orchestras and in those roles, and so in those moments, whether it's in your profession or with the world around us where you feel like you know uh, obstacles might not be able to be overcome that there's a challenge that might be insurmountable where do you find your inspiration where do you find uh, the strength uh, to not only um, make it past those moments but ultimately to uh, achieve and reach the levels of excellence that you regularly do well uh... I think when I'm in front of an orchestra, um, my my focus is always on the music as being um, the driving force, um, and it's not. I'm not thinking about politics or race or anything of the sort. I'm focused on how I can be the best version of myself as a musician, and yes, there. I think self-doubt is, is, is a natural thing. And I think uh, self-doubt is uh, a healthy part of what makes one a, a great artist. But to know that it is a journey and that you, you have to continue to, I think, I think, Aaron, what I've, lately what I've come to understand is that all the teachers you study with and all the knowledge you receive in, in university and, and studying with the great professors and, and all of those things are just really the foundation just to get you started. Um, that this is a path, you're now your best teacher and most important teacher. And to continue to feed yourself and to feed your art and to every day or every concert, it being your goal to be a better musician and a better artist. And I think if you can think of that, uh, that, that can be a great inspiration because 
your your biggest competitors really with yourself to challenge yourself to to be better and i think when you do that it 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 brings humility um and you feel like you're part of something much bigger and so that's that's what i think about and obviously to have good people around you who will support you and and be honest with you and be constructive uh, because self-confidence a healthy sense of self-confidence is important to do our art form and and it must be nurtured and it must be taken care of and it must be uh, expanded and and so forth and and so a good support system and knowing that you're a part of something bigger and humility and trying to be the best version of yourself is, is what inspires me. Roderick Cox, you truly are one of the great arts engines that is powering human creativity in our field. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you.